change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podscooby. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we took a week off, so we have a ton to get into. But off the top here, you wanted to discuss something like you got a little bee in your bonnet about something that happened over the last two weeks. So the floor is yours. Take it away. What do you got to say? Well, Luke Wilson, uh, former NFL player, Canadian NFL player, now uh, TSN analyst for the NFL, has a podcast on YouTube. And he had Nathan Rourke on this past week. And I just thought it was so obvious that Luke Wilson has like zero respect for the CFL. Just this questioning. His first question to Nathan Rourke was, is the CFL trash? And that's how he said it. The whole thing just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Now, he did throw the CFL some bones. You know, he said that Adam Big Hill should have been in the NFL and and stuff like that. But it just kind of came off as totally disrespectful towards the league. And it's just funny, you know, a Canadian guy that grew up in Canada that made it to the NFL just has no respect for the CFL whatsoever, it sounds like. And it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. You know, he, he did bring up an interesting point that I thought uh, made some sense, though. These, like, four-hour practices, it just isn't enough time. And I get that that's in the CFL four-hour practices. And I guess it, it, it's a financial thing, and the players probably wanted it in the CBA. Um, but it just it just doesn't seem like there's enough practice time for these guys to really gel as a team, especially an offensive unit. It just I wish the practices were longer so we could see better football earlier on in the season and maybe the training camps be longer, too. And I know that people don't really like preseason games or watching preseason games or, you know, the training camp is kind of like, oh, let's just get to the regular season already. But I think if it was a little bit longer and teams had more time to gel, we would see better football at the beginning of the season. Yeah, so I also listened to it. You wanted to talk about this. I, I saw the quotes that he had about Big Hill. I think someone from 3Down wrote about it. So I, I obviously saw those. But then I was like, all right, Mike got pissed off about something. So I'm going to I'm gonna give it a listen. And and I did. And I, I got the same sort of – like I'm I'm watching the, the show. I watched it earlier today while I was eating lunch. And I'm just like – I fast-forwarded through some stuff just because it, was, it wasn't a very good podcast. But I don't want to – you know, he disparaged the CFL, but I don't want to take shots at the guy. But I'm I'm listening to him, like, waiting for him to get to the CFL stuff. So then they have Rourke on. They talk about a bunch of stuff. And then, yeah, the very first question he asked, like you said, the CFL is trash. And I'm like, well, that's not really a great way. Like, I'm not an interviewer, but I know that you wouldn't sit down with someone and be like, you know, the thing that you you dedicated your life to? Like, it sucks. So how do you feel about that? And it's like, I understand Nathan Rourke is going down to the NFL. He's now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And his, his life's goal wasn't to be a CFL quarterback, he wanted to be an NFL quarterback, and that's great. I, every football player wants to be an NFL player, obviously. But I just thought it was such a bizarre way to start the conversation. And then Nathan Rourke basically, as politely as he could, 
kind of shut it all down. And then you mentioned the Big Hill stuff, and then he started talking about guys that like, oh, I know this guy. Like he he mentioned Peter Godber a bunch of times, and it's like, oh, he's he's a legend. And it's like it was very dude bro podcast. So if you do listen to it, like be prepared yeah. for that. But he's like talking about he started talking about all these great players, like a handful of great players that played. And it's like, do you even know what like you don't know what you're talking about? And then when you are pushed back on it, you start like almost backpedaling in a way to be like, well, this guy was great. This guy was great. Yeah. This guy was great. And it's like, okay, so do you not believe what you like? I, it, it just came off as very bizarre to me. Uh, I don't really have a, like you talk about people not wanting, you know, the preseason get to the regular season. We talk about disrespect. Luke Wilson works for TSN. Like TSN kind of is now speaking of the preseason, like, openly maybe not disrespecting the cfl but it's kind of pissed people off like they cut two right. preseason yep. games that they were going to broadcast the argos and tie cats game and the lions and riders game and what's weird about that is they're two of the more like a tie cats game and a riders game like those are two of your more rabid fan bases who are probably going to gobble up preseason football especially right the riders game it just seemed very bizarre that those would be the ones that they would cut and this comes on the heels of victor qui saying that TSN is a great partner that wants to innovate. And it's like, but they're cutting broadcasts. And I understand that not everyone wants to watch preseason games and there's costs associated with showing preseason games, but it's 2023. You're telling me you can't, like, here's the thing. If TSN doesn't want to show preseason football, that's fine. Then let the team show them. Like, just let the teams have control over their preseason broadcasting rights. We've seen the Ticats stream their preseason games before. The Ar- we, we were able to watch the Argos and Ticats preseason game last year because the Argos did, uh, like, very late, they, they decided they were going to do a live stream from Guelph. So just give that to the team, and then we don't have to worry about it because you, you will have, if you want to watch it, you will have access to it. It doesn't need to be top of the line, like, you know what I mean, like, production qualities. Like, I just want to watch these guys that I will go see at training camp playing a game and I, and I want us to be able to like, you don't live in Hamilton, so you won't be able to go. Like now you won't get to see any of the preseason games if these games aren't streamed. So it's like, now you're like fans are at a disadvantage. The, the diehards that do want to see this stuff, but it just tells me like you, you have a broadcaster in TSN. You have a, a guy who has a podcast who works for TSN. This kind of makes me wonder if TSN, if there, if there are a, a vocal group of people who work at TSN, that maybe do view the CFL as less than and wonder why that they are promoting and, and, and paying to, to air these games. And it's, it's that thing that like, I'm, you know, we always have in the back of our head, especially people of our age. Cause we always remember, Oh man, you know, teams are in trouble. The CFL's losing money. Like you've mentioned it numerous times in the show that there were rumors floating around in 96 in Hamilton. That was going to be the final gray cup and this, and the league was going out of business. We, you, you deal with that stuff as fans growing up and you start to, you start to get worried when you start to see like you think things are going OK and then mm-hmm. you see you see stuff like this where people who have a voice like Luke Wilson is on a lot of NFL coverage. When I watch NFL games every Sunday, he's on. there, usually talking about gambling. But is this kind of the prevalent? Is, is there like there's obviously people at TSN that love the CFL, but is there enough people there that don't that, you know, you get a situation where. And, you know, when, when, when are the TV rights do three, four years time that maybe that check gets smaller or they decide not to cut it at all. And then what does the CFL do? It's just it's one of those things that as a fan who grew up with teams holding telethons and, and ticket drives, it, it concerns me a little bit. Yeah, it, it concerns me a little bit as well. Um, you never want to see it going in that direction of less games televised and all that stuff. That being said, 
Um, I'm only upset that I don't get to see the Ticats. Like, I would watch the other games, and I would enjoy them, I'm sure, like, as much as you can preseason games. But I want to watch our guys play. You know, yeah, I want to sure. watch the uh, the Ticats play so we can talk about it, so I can talk about it more intelligently, you know, instead of, like, listening to it on the radio where you don't get as much. You don't see that visual, obviously. So um, I, I think it's probably just a, a cost-cutting thing. You know, it, you see it all over – yeah, I mean, all over the world now that people are getting laid off, you know, and, and massive companies and even like the Toronto Blue Jays, they don't take a, a guy on the road to do the radio calls anymore. Um, it does suck, but I think it's like a bigger sign of, of, you know, companies trying to cut wherever they can. Which which I find so weird because sports is the one like they're recession proof almost, you know what I mean? Like. There's a lot of businesses out there like everyone needs to buy food. Everyone needs to wear clothes. Everyone needs a place to live, so to speak. Like those things are like you're never you're never going to go out of business. You know what I mean? Like there's always going to be a need for stuff like that. But sports is the one thing that's kind of transcended. Like we live in an an era of watching watching digitally or watching on demand. And sports is kind of the one thing that's that's left that kind of pushes back on that on demand. Like no one wants to like I, I have you have you know, watch a game on tape delay, but if you, you want to be able to watch it live. And like I said, if this, if the, if TSN just doesn't want to do preseason football, that's perfectly fine because if you're an NFL fan, you don't get to see every preseason game either, at least not live, but NFL network will show them all. You know, maybe you're watching your favorite team play at three o'clock in the morning, or you have to record it at three o'clock in the morning to watch the next day. But if that's the case, we know if the Ticats and Argos can live stream stuff, there's no excuse for every other team not to be able to as well. Like every t- every team, if you go to a CFL game, there is an in-house camera following the action. Like if you watch on the big board, that's not the TSN feed they're showing. That's an in-house camera. Every team has a radio play-by-play team. Just throw it up on, on YouTube or th- on your YouTube channel or throw it up on your website. Like it shouldn't be that difficult and if tsn like i know these games are taking place in june so maybe there at some point there would have been a conflict maybe the nba finals are going to happen at that time or something but just give them to the teams then and let the team like that's yeah. the solution that i've come up with and i don't see why like tsn doesn't want to show them so what's the harm in letting the teams just broadcast them themselves you know yeah i totally agree it's just it's kind of a slap in the face to the league to say like we, well, we don't want to sh- we don't want to show them but you can't show them either you know what i mean yeah. so it's it's terrible well especially because one of the big complaints about 90s cfl ball was and one of the reasons they say that they're so that that, that lost generation so to speak games weren't televised you couldn't see every game now you get to see every regular season game and that's great and i do understand that preseason games are a niche audience but i mean Showing videos of coaches scrums are a niche audience and teams put those up every day. So I just look, I'm going to be able to see the Ticats Argos game because it's in Hamilton. But unless the Ticats stream it, you're not. And that's not cool. But let's move on. Enough complaining about the Jagoffs at TSN. We have some actual Ticats news to discuss, Mike. This week, the team signed five new American players to the roster back on April 12th. They included receivers Brennan Eagles. And I'm going to butcher his last name, but I'm going to try Neil Pau, I think it's definitely a Hawaiian name. Yeah, uh, running back. One. Yeah, it's a, it's it, the U apostrophe U is mm-hmm. what's throwing me off. Hopefully, in training camp we'll get a 
I'll find out how to pronounce his name, and I if he sticks with the team, I, we won't screw it up every week. They also signed running back Tayon Fleet Davis, defensive back Demarcus Acey, and offensive lineman Gannon Grider. Training camp is just around the corner. As we are recording this, we are less than a month out from today, from training camp starting. And these are just more young bodies looking to make the 2023 team. So out of these guys, are there any ones that stand out, one or two guys, somebody that you're going to be keeping your eye on during training camp and the preseason if you're able to keep an eye out or maybe an ear out, I guess would be the best way to, to put it for the preseason games. Anyone anyone that kind of caught your eye when, when the, the team announced these signings last week? Well, screw all those uh, prima donnas, those receivers and those running backs. Let's get straight <laughs> to the the heart of the matter. Let's talk about the offensive lineman, Grider. 23 years old. Uh, the guy's a monster. 6'7", 310 pounds. That's a big, that's a big uh, boy. That's a big boy. Played five seasons at Benedict University. I, I don't know about that university. But, you know, the, whenever I see an offensive lineman coming into camp and he's pushing you know, six, seven and over 300 pounds that, uh, that raises an eyebrow for me. And, uh, that's a guy I'm going to have to keep an eye on. So I'm going to go to the pretty boy positions, uh, sort of the two guys that I'm kind of looking at are Brennan Eagles, the wide receiver or the receiver. I shouldn't say wide receiver. There really aren't wide receivers in the CFL and the defensive back AC. Um, we know the tie cats are looking for DBs. They let three of last year's starters, Jamal roll, Cariel Brooks and Siante Evans leaving free agency. So I think the AC signing is kind of significant because now he join, joins kind of a growing list of first-year and second-year Americans who are going to get a chance to start for this team. Like right now, I think it's fair to say there's three spots locked down. I think Tunde Adelike's penned in at safety, and you have Richard Leonard and free agent signee Javian Elliott at those halfback spots, and that leaves both corner spots open for a couple of these unknowns to claim. AC has spent some time bouncing around the NFL, but with second-team All-SEC in 2018 while at the University of Missouri. So there's a good pedigree there. And we also know the Ticats are looking for potentially another American receiver. We know Tim White and Duke Williams will be starters, but we don't know the status of Braylon Addison, whether he'll be healthy enough to start the season. And they have another opening uh, for a fourth receiver that will go to an American. Like we've discussed this, especially when we were discussing the receivers a few weeks back, we think both think that Anthony Johnson will be the guy that will kind of get that spot to start, but he's far from a shoe in to keep it, especially if one of these newcomers impresses during training camp, which happens every year. So I lean more towards Eagles being that guy, because again, it kind of comes down to college pedigree. He played at the university of Texas, didn't post huge numbers when he was a longhorn, but spent three seasons there. He has some good size, six, four to 30. Like that's a guy that when camp opens and I'm sitting at McMaster stadium, or I guess it's Ron Joy stadium at the campus of McMaster university, He'll, I always kind of pay attention to the young receivers because last year Johnson caught my eye, so I, I knew going into the season he was going to make the team. Eagles is a guy that I'll be curious to see, especially with some of the uncertainty that we have in the receiving core. So, yeah, I mean, the other guys that neither of us mentioned, I'm, I'm they're going to have be able to make their mark. I just think running back-wise, it's kind of hard to crack this. Like, I, I think that they'll yeah. probably even add another running back, but it's hard to crack this team. And like, they have, you know, James Butler's a starter. We know what Sean Thomas Erlington can do. The chances of them putting a fourth or a third running back on the active roster each week, unlikely. So that's why I'm kind of more gearing towards. I like the fact that you went to the offensive line because I knew I knew you were going to. But I, I got my eye on kind of the pretty boy receiver and and seeing who can who's going to come out of this cluster for defensive backs when camp opens. Yeah, that's a good point about the de- defensive backs because yeah, that's that's the position group that. Uh is the biggest question mark going into training camp, right? So maybe this AC guy can uh, can lend a hand in that sense. 
Yeah, being second team All SEC at Missouri, nothing that's to, that's nothing to nothing sneeze at. That's that's yeah, that's some good pedigree there. So yep. he'll be a guy to definitely keep an eye on. All right, moving on, we are going to continue our tie cats roster breakdown, but we're flipping over to the other side of the ball now. And we're talking about the team's defensive line and linebackers this week. We are going to start with the D line and Mike, I got to say this unit is loaded. The tire cats did a fairly large revamp revamp of their front four, letting both Julian Hauser and Micah Johnson leave in free agency, but they did not sit idly by as they were active in replacing their lost starters. They signed Casey Sales away from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to replace Johnson, and they brought back Jagarrett Davis after he left a season ago to play for that team down the road that shall not be named. The Tabbies also signed Canadian Kwaku Boateng away from the Ottawa Red Blacks. Last year, Boateng missed the entire season after suffering a knee injury before the season began. But if he can get back to being the guy we saw in Edmonton for those seasons he was there— and gets back to being one of the league's elite Canadian pass rushers, that's going to be a major signing for the Ticats. There are also a number of holdovers from last season, Dylan Wynn most notably, but also Malik Carney, who signed in a contract extension with the team in the offseason, as well as Cedric Wilcots, who the team acquired in a trade late last year. We will also see a number of Canadians return. Ted LaRon is back for another season, which feels like the 50th season he's back in Tigertown. Mason Bennett, Anthony Federico, and Mohamed Diallo all returned for another season with the team. Trey Crawford, who played in three games last year, but spent most of the season on the practice roster, and McKinley Williams, who played in one game after signing with the team last fall, both return, hopefully for them. Maybe they're the next Malik Carney-type player who, who an injury is suffered or, or a guy doesn't perform. They get a chance to get some more playing time this year and show what they can do. The team also has a number of rookies that they brought in over the winter, uh, TJ Johnson, Alvin Ward Jr., and Niall Pinkley. We already talked about those guys when they were signed a few a couple months back now. I know that was a lot to throw at you, but you you look at that group and it sounds as deep as any front for any front defensive front that I can think of that or especially the Ticats have had since we've been covering this team. So what do you think, Mike? Is this the deepest defensive line you can remember? And do you think this team with the horses they could potentially have up front maybe could have one of, if not the best defensive line units in the CFL this season? Yeah, I think without a doubt, this is the best group that we've had <clears throat> going into training camp since we started this thing back in 2015. Uh, I mean, you got the Canadians on the defensive end, which I'm, I'm assuming they're going to do a rotation of Botang and Bennett. And if Botang can get back to his uh, his playing days a couple years ago with Edmonton, uh, we got we got a steal on the free agent market because this guy's the real deal. And like I said, he's Canadian, so. Um, the defensive ends are going to be solid. On the other side, you got Jagger Davis and Carney. It's deep. They have tons of depth. And then not to mention the middle with the you know, guy like Dylan Wynn coming back. Uh, and then Teddy Laurent to add depth to it as well. It's just it's just nice to see uh, the defensive line really being built up in this offseason. It's it's too deep at pretty much every spot, right? Like yeah. you went down. Does the it remind level? you a little bit of the defensive backs last year? But I feel bit. like you could they, you could use these guys though. Like there's not going to be a man out. Okay, go we're, ahead. We're going to that. We're gonna get to that. You're, you're jumping ahead of what I have. I have questions for you, buddy. You're jumping ahead of me. All right, all right. It's like, I'm excited. I'm excited. Like, well, I, which is totally understandable because, like I said, like you you listed the guys, and if you just went, okay, you got if you had Carney and Davis and Sales and Win, you'd be like, damn, that's a good group. If you had Boateng and Bennett and Laurent and Win, you'd be like damn, that's a good group. Put them all together and you're rotating guys in and keeping guys fresh. I mean, I don't know if one guy will get double digit sacks, 
but as a unit, this could be a team. I think last year they finished third in the league in sacks, and I didn't think they were a particularly effective pass rush a year ago. But you add all these guys up, and keep, if, if everyone stays healthy and they stay fresh for the season, this could be the year that the Ticats – and I know sacks aren't the BL end-all, but I think this could be the year where the Ticats finish atop the league in sacks. So we talked about the defensive ends a little bit. With Davis, Carney, Bennett, and Boateng, the Ticats have four guys with a lot of starting experience at defensive end. So of those four, which two guys do you think will begin the season in the starting role? Does the team go two Americans, one American, one Canadian, or do they roll with dual Canadian starters and then use the Americans in more situational pass rush situations? Situational situation sounds redundant, but it is what it is. Because if you start two Canadians on the ends, then you can bring in guys like Davis and Carney and not really worry about the ratio, or do you think it's more likely that it's it's a one one, one American on one side, one Canadian on the other? Yeah, I think it's gonna be one and one. Um, but but I, I'm not against that idea. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to for the ratio, right? To to start, uh, you know, two two Canadians defense on each side of the defensive end, right? So, um, but I think it will be um Jared Davis on the one side and then maybe uh, it's it's tough to say but I think if Botang is the player that he was he will probably be the starter on the other side there but like like you said Carney was signed to a new deal he's a stud so it's so hard to project but if I had to right now and I do I'll say one and one yeah I, I'm with you on that I do think it'll be Davis and Boateng if Boateng's healthy he is a like top Canadian of the year candidate we saw right. him in Edmonton be a guy that before he, cause I think he got hurt his last year in Edmonton. And then obviously he was hurt all that all of last season in Ottawa, but he's a guy that has that ability where he can get you 13, 15 sacks in a large role and be in the conversation as the league's top Canadian. And I, but I think that, like I said, I don't know if necessarily anyone's going to do that because I think they're going to use these guys so effectively. I think they're going to rotate the guys in and out. I, I, I but I do think to start games, It'll be Davis on one side, and if he's healthy, Boateng on the other. If he's not, then it's Mason Bennett. And they do have right. some Canadian depth at defensive end. Like, they still have Anthony Federico, who's a Canadian. Mohamed Diallo can play in, in the middle, but I'm sure he can also bump out to, to end if need be. So I, I I don't think this is going to be something where we see these are the two starters, and they're, they're the only guys you see. I think there's going to be a lot of rotation at these spots because I think you want to keep these guys healthy going forward, especially if this team – it has great cup aspirations. The season's a, a long, long 20-game, 20 21-game slog. You want to keep these guys healthy as long as you can. And I think that that's why they've done this year, gone about building up the defensive line because they know that that's probably more important than what they did a season ago when they did the same with the secondary. So looking at the tackle spots now, seems pretty safe to say, I think this is the no-brainer. It's going to be winning and Casey Sales as the two guys starting with Laurent being that third man in. We saw the team kind of use a similar three-man rotation last year with Wynn, Laurent, and then Micah Johnson. And it was, I guess, reasonably effective. I don't know if it was – I mean, Teddy Laurent stayed healthy all year, and I know that there's people out there going, he always stays healthy, but it always feels like he's dealing with nicks and bruises. Didn't really deal with that last year. Um, you're basically replacing sale, like Johnson with sales. I don't know if there's going to be a huge drop-off there. You're also getting someone who's significantly younger, so I think that's good. So do you think this rotational strategy – that they have at tackle. Do you think this will work this season? Or do you think the team might've been better off just going with two guys that they know that they're going to have there and then spending the money somewhere else to address maybe the need in the secondary? You know what I mean? I, I, I know I said that I didn't want big Teddy back um, on previous episodes, but 
I think it's better to have him on the team and have that depth because even a guy like Dylan Wynn, he was injured for for a good chunk last yep. season and missed the last you know, like five six games last year. Yeah, so injuries happen, and to slide in again, like slide in a guy like Ted Laurent is nothing but a positive. So I think it's better to have three than uh, just you know kind of rely on those two and then have uh, some unknown players behind you that you don't know if they're going to come in and succeed or come in and completely fall on their faces. So you mentioned the secondary and it's what they did with the D line this year is kind of what they did with the secondary last year. And I know I'm getting a little my, ahead of myself on this one, but last year going into training camp, the big question was they have all these guys. Who's the odd man out. And we usually see a surprising cut or two when final rosters are set when training camp ends, given how deep the D line is. Do you think one of these big names the team has brought in might not be with the team when the season begins. Like, do you think one of these guys could get cut or do you simply think the team will find a way to keep everyone on the roster? I think they'll find a way to keep everybody that we mentioned on the roster. There might be a guy like Cedric Wilcots who, who might not make it. Uh, you know, they acquired him from Winnipeg last year. Maybe he's one of the guys that is the the unlucky man out, but uh, out of like Botang and Bennett and all those guys we mentioned, I don't see them, any of those guys getting left off the roster. No, and I think you can, if this team's going to roll, I think you can roll with eight defensive linemen on the starting, like on the game day roster. And I think that because a guy like, I've seen Gary Davis play special teams, Carney will play special teams, Bennett will play special teams. Like you can have those backup guys. And I'm not saying Davis is a backup, but you can have backup guys or or second string guys or non-starters, if you will. They can contribute on special teams so they still have a, a spot on the roster versus like, Sometimes those D like Alden Darby, who they traded to get Cedric Wilcots was a healthy scratch because they just couldn't find a way to get him on the roster, which is one of the main reasons I think last year's team struggled because you can't find a way to get Alden Darby on the roster. I don't really know if you know what you're doing, but I don't think that's going to be the problem with the defensive line. Like I think I, I don't necessarily think like I, Davis, like the guys that, you know, I don't think you're going to like you mentioned to Cedric Wilcots like that's a guy that, yeah, maybe. He's got a bit of a name, played a little last year. Maybe he's the odd guy out. Maybe he's a practice roster guy, or or maybe he is a cut. You know what I mean? But I, I'm I'm with you. I, th- I think that they're going to find a way to get everyone on the team to start the season. And, of course, you know, injuries always creep up, especially training camp time. You see guys come in with nicks and bruises, and you never know who's going to get an opportunity there. So I, I don't necessarily think that we're going to see one of these big-name guys uh, not make the team after uh, camp ends. So let's move on to the linebackers now. And this is another spot where the team made changes over the winter. Goner last year starting middle linebacker Jovan Santos Knox and Sam linebacker Cam Kelly. In their place are former Calgary Stampeder Jimmy Thurman and former Toronto Argonaut and public enemy number one in Hamilton, Chris Edwards. At the will linebacker spot will be a familiar face as Simone Lawrence returns for his 10th season in Hamilton. The Ticats also have plenty of depth. They have Kyle Wilson, who the team who they re-signed late last year. Vosan Joseph, who played in eight games a season ago and contributed mightily on special teams. And they have some returning Canadians in Grant McDonald, Bailey Feltmate, Jared Beeksma, and Nick Cross. Tigats also signed Canadian Frazier Sopic away from the Stampeders and added another American newcomer in Jackson Turner during the offseason. Despite what Coach Orlando Steinhauer said, in my opinion, the trio that will begin the year as the starting linebackers are Simone, Thurman, and Edwards. So when you look at that starting linebacker group from this year, do you think this unit is upgraded or downgraded from a season ago? 
Uh, it's a bit of both for me. I think Thurman is an upgrade over Santos Knox. I think Chris Edwards isn't as good as Cam Kelly. Hmm. But, you know, that, that could change, right? I mean, he could come and have a great year. I just think that Cam Kelly did a hell of a job when he was with the Tiger Cats. Uh, he's in the XFL, the USFL now. But, um, yeah, I think that we upgraded one position, maybe slightly downgraded in the other. Yeah, see, I'm... It's tough because I think the Thurman Santos Knox switch is almost even. Like I know Thurman's numbers weren't super high, and Santos Knox had better numbers last year. But I think that that's just a case of what defenses they were playing in. Like I genuinely believe that Jumir Thurman might have his best season uh, as far as numbers go this year. And Edwards Edwards is is more of a veteran. Like Cam Kelly, it it's. He he was probably the team's best defensive player last year, but Chris Edwards is really good Sam linebacker as well. So, mm-hmm. like you said, may, maybe it's a slight downgrade, but I just want to see what these guys can kind of do in this offense before I really like it. it it's a, a tough question to ask when we haven't seen these guys play together. But you look at them on paper and you think, even if it is a downgrade, it's not a very big one, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think that maybe. These three as a unit, maybe they do better as the the past three last year. So, and maybe that slight downgrade isn't a downgrade at all. Maybe I'm just, uh, you know, jumping to conclusions about that. And maybe the, you know, Chris Edwards would do a better job than Cam Kelly. But, you know, at this point, I'm just looking at it as just strictly on paper. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that Thurman is a slight upgrade. And I think Edwards is a slight downgrade. So it's about even then. As, as yeah, even Stevens. So, both Jovan Santos Knox and Cam Kelly were all-stars last year, so Thurman and Edwards have some big shoes to fill. Of those two, which new starter do you think will have the bigger impact on the defense in 2023? I'm going to say I'm going to say uh, Edwards just because of his position and how important it is. I think that he'll be a great cover guy, and uh, I think he'll make more of the impact. Maybe he'll have you know better numbers. Uh, maybe you'll have more interceptions, that kind of deal. So I think on the stat sheet, it will be Edwards. Yeah, I, I think the same thing. I think Thurman is going to have his best year numbers-wise, like I just said. But I do think Edwards, because of, like you said, the position that he played, being the Sam linebacker, I think he'll have the chance to have a larger impact on the team's defense as a whole uh, this upcoming season. Hamilton's Canadian linebacking contingent is pretty deep while admitting that Canadian guys are mostly used on special teams. Is there any out of the bunch that the Ticats have that you think might be able to get some time on defense? I'm looking at a guy like uh, Frazier that they brought up from, from mm-hmm. Calgary. Um, I, I see an opportunity there maybe to get some time, but most of these guys are going to be on special teams, right? And it's just, unless there's injuries to the linebackers, I don't really see them shining, you know, getting a lot of time on the field. No, it's it's the same with me too. I just I look at a guy like Nick Cross who's going into the final year of his contract. And he's been so good on special teams and that's what they say. Guys guys come in and they play on special teams and that's how they they get to move up on the roster, you know? But I just don't know where the spot is. We know Kyle Wilson's going to get a ton of playing time whether it's Spelling Simone or Jameer Thurman. Like they're going to want they brought him back. They're going to want to use him some as well. Maybe again in a rotation to keep some of those guys healthier longer in the season. We know Simone dealt with the injuries last year. So maybe he's a guy that doesn't see as much playing time and maybe his numbers dip because of it. But if the team wins a great cup, I think he, he won't care. Um, what do you think about Simone going into the season? Like, do you think he can get back to that level? Like, does he have to be 
2018 Simone for this team, def- this team and this defense to be successful, or can he be a contributing member, but not maybe not necessarily the star of the defense anymore? Yeah, he he doesn't have to be the star anymore. Uh, he can he can you know play very well on the field and then use his leadership skills kind of you know on the sidelines and give advice to the linebackers and stuff like that. Like I don't think that he's you know there's there's going to be this massive drop off or anything. I think he will have a bounce back season. I think he's putting in the work in the off season and he will be a really good player this year. Will he be the Simone Lawrence that was you know up for most outstanding defensive player in 2019? Uh, I'm not sure, but I don't think so. But I still think he can be like a great contributing factor to this linebacker core. Believe it or not, man, we are almost done with these team breakdowns. And that means that training camp is right around the corner, which seems it seems like forever ago that we decided we were going to do this project. And yet here we are next week. We finish up with a trio of areas to discuss. We're going to discuss the secondary special teams and the coaching staff. I expect there to be some lively discussions, especially when the secondary comes up, because that is the one area of this team that has so many question marks. So we're going to get into that final chapter of our pre-camp breakdown. And then once that happens, training camp's basically here. It, it, it seems insane to think that uh, we're on the precipice of May and the new CFL season being on the way. It's just uh, it, it felt like forever ago when we started talking about quarterbacks and here we are ready to do the last groups here and, the season's almost here. It's crazy, isn't it? It is. It's a it's a wonderful time of year to be a sports fan because you got you know if you're a hockey fan you got the playoffs. If you're a basketball fan you got the playoffs. Go Knicks. Um, soccer's going right now. Yeah, go Knicks. <laughs> soccer's going right now. Baseball's going right now. And then you know leading in to the CFL. So it's a it's an awesome time to be watching sports. All right, let's move on to some CFL talk and let's get started with a topic that a lot of fans are always interested in player salaries. So three down nation released their annual list of the top player salaries for the 2023 season over the last week. And some of the information I think was a little eye opening. reigning two time MOP. Zach Caleros came in as the league's highest paid player, pulling in 600,000 for the upcoming season, just behind Caleros. And this is pertinent for Ticat fans is new Ticat starting quarterback, Bo Levi Mitchell will make just over half a million dollars in his first year in black and gold. New Riders QB Trevor Harris clocks in as the third highest paid at an even 500000 while Jeremiah Mazzoli and Jake Mayer round out the top five, both making over $400,000 for this upcoming season. We will get to the other positions in a second, but let's stick with the quarterbacks for now. Any of the QB salaries stand out to you? Did you think that some guys would be higher, some guys would be lower? What were your thoughts when you saw the list? I thought that, you know, everyone is pretty much where they should be. The one that kind of surprised me is that Dane Evans um, took such a pay wow, cut. Wow, like, did this he guy, ever? It was crazy, right? I mean, this guy was making over $400,000 with the Ticats, penciled in to be the starting quarterback for years to come, has a bad year, and now he's making, what, 87000 in BC? That's just wild. Yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. Taylor Cornelius is getting a big raise in pay and he has the he has the ability to to be a top 5 paid quarterback in this league. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it cuz we're kind of, like I'm not as high as on Cornelius as you are. You think he could be the next big thing out in Edmonton, but that seems like him and Jake Mayer both. Like that's a lot of money to give to guys who have proven very little in this mm-hmm. league. Like Yep. I remember when Zach Caleros got his second contract with the Ticats that made him the highest paid player coming off of the ACL tear and people didn't like, oh, like, is he going to be able to get back to that? And it took him a few years and a few teams before he did. 
But a lot of people were questioning, like, why would the Ticats make him the highest paid player in the league? He hasn't really done much. But what he had, to, he had led the team to a Grey Cup. He would have been the MOP the year he got. You know what I mean? Like, he had shown me enough where it's like, no, I understand, like, even coming off an injury, why you would give this guy the big contract. Mm-hmm. I'm not, and I'm not, We did when we did our QB pyramids, like, I wasn't entirely sold on Jake Mayer. And I'm still not. Like, I got, to me, it's a, you know, show me what you can do before I'm really ready to hand over that big check. Caleros is a top paid player. Makes total sense to me. Bo and Harris coming in just like Mazzoli, like the top four make a ton of sense to me. It, it was, it was those young guys getting those, like both Jake Mayer and Taylor Cornelius are paid more than Vernon Adams. And I feel like Vernon Adams does done more in the league than both of those guys. Now maybe mm-hmm. both those guys end up being better than Vernon Adams. And that's entirely possible. But if I'm going to be giving a quarterback 400, $500,000 a year, I kind of want to know that that's going to be he's that. Let's be honest. If if the Elks struggle this year, Cornelius is going to be on the bench. And they did draft Trey Ford in the first round. I don't think a team would waste a first round pick, especially on a Canadian quarterback, if you didn't at some point think that he could be your starter. So, could you imagine if if Cornelius is is sitting on the bench making nearly 400k? Like that's a big chunk of your salary cap to not be on the field. So, I don't know. Uh, the the what's the best way to put this the faith that those two teams those two alberta teams have in their young gunslingers that will be interesting to watch considering their salaries yeah it's definitely a risk it definitely for, for both teams people might be sold more on jake mara than they are taylor cornelius and i get that um but yeah to be paying paying that kind of money is definitely a risk when they haven't really proven anything i mean Tor- cornelius has gotten better year by year i think uh, and he's shown many improvements, you know, in his accuracy and 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 adding um, a new element in running the ball more last season. But it, there, it's all off like potential, right? There's there's nothing that shows that he can be a starting quarterback of a winning team. So yeah, they're both massive risks, and uh, we'll see how it pans out. We also found out that Montreal's William Stanback at 160,000 and Toronto's Andrew Harris at 145,000 are one and two amongst running back pay. Edmonton's Geno Lewis, I'm sure to the surprise of absolutely no one, is the league's top paid receiver at 320,000 for the upcoming season. And Saskatchewan's Anthony Lanier is the league's highest paid defensive player at a cool quarter million dollars for 2023. So having looked at all the lists, Mike, uh, what shocked you in either a good or a bad way about what some of the league's players at the top end are going to make this year? Andrew Harris is kind of shocking. I mean, the second highest paid running back in the league at $145,000 hard money. Coming off uh, a, an injury plague season, uh, I just don't see where... Now, I guess you could argue that he, you know, he stuck around with the team and he was on the sidelines and he, he gave... You know, he's he's a leader on the team and blah, blah, blah. But to me, I just don't think you're going to get that much production out of him next year to be paying him 145000 the second highest paid running back in the league. It, it's just, it seems a little high. Like I would, if it, it would have made more sense if it would have been in the lower 100000 kind of area because maybe Andrew Harris deserves to, you know, get the benefit of the doubt, get that nicer salary. But 145000 seems a little high to me. I mean, he's getting paid more than Kadeem Carey and, you know, he, the numbers that Kadeem put up last year were pretty phenomenal. And it's not just him, but you pair it with A.J. Ouellette, 
Mm-hmm. And they make a combined 250 like, – they make a quarter of a million dollars on their running backs. And that's what one of the things that stood out to me was the Argos, where they spent their money because Chad Kelly is so cheap. And this is kind of the thing that the Lions did last year where because – I almost said A.J. Rourke. <laughs> Nathan Rourke. I don't even A.J. Rourke. I have not even a name. Um, <laughs> Nathan Rourke was on his entry-level deal as a as a draft pick. They were able to spend – elsewhere to build up that team so you see the argos are spending 256,000 on two running backs they were able to give curly getting junior top five money which is completely deserved i think he's he's tied with stephen dunbar who i'll get to in a second as i believe tied for third as the highest paid receiver Com- understandable canadian receiver guy that could lead leading receiving totally understand that but they're also paying devaris daniels nearly two hundred thousand dollars which to me is insane like i can't like Devaris Daniels is a good player, but is he a two, like a fifth of a million good? I I like I don't think he is. I feel like, the same way about Dunbar too. I know you're gonna get to him in a minute here, but I'm the same boat as uh, with Dunbar. So let's talk about that. He got paid, man. Like he's number three in receiver compensation. And I looked this up. He makes more than seven guys who posted more yards than him a season ago. Like he literally got a thousand yards last year. And with the exception of, I think it's Geno Lewis, Kenny Lawler, Gittens, and well, Gittens he's tied with, and Kenny Lawler. They're the mm-hmm. only guy. And Kenny Lawler didn't have more. Did Kenny Lawler? Have, no, Kenny Lawler didn't have more yards. There's someone else. Oh, Jalen Acklin. No, Jalen Acklin didn't. I, anyway, I can't remember who the guys were, but the fact that like Tim White, and we'll get to the Ty Cat stuff in a second, but Tim White, who was way more important to the Ty Cats offense last year, was also a free agent somehow got less in guaranteed money. Like they say hard money. I call it guaranteed money. Cause that's the money you're going to make. If you just show up and play every week, yep. that to me is kind of nuts. Is it not like I, Dunbar was good. Is he going to live up to top? Like paying Gino, like the elk paying Gino Lewis, 300,000 totally understandable pairing that with Steven Dunbar. Now you're paying over half a million dollars. Plus you've already paid the, like, it's not like the quarterback cheap. Like, it feels to me like Edmonton maybe didn't allocate their resources very good. And, and no no offense to Dunbar, get paid, man, get paid. But, who boy, it's going to be tough to live up to that salary, don't you think? Yeah, it is. And I question, you know, that I think we're both think thinking that uh, Edmonton will be better this upcoming season. I'm thinking that just, less after seeing where they spent their money. Right, and I, I just think that, I think I might be thinking it less as well, just because I don't see their offensive line being very good this year. I mean, they no. gave up guys like like Beard, who's one of the best line or <laughs> offensive linemen in the league and a Canadian to boot. Um, they gave up a, a couple other guys to Hamilton too. And I just don't know if Cornelius is going to have time back there now. And, and they have the receivers, but is he going to have enough time to throw it to them? Now, Stephen Dunbar is making $200,000. And I, I just think it's a, a factor of Chris Jones likes big receivers and Steven Dunbar is a fairly big receiver six foot three 200 202 pounds and played pretty good last year showed that he can compete in this league but I'm just not sure he's a guy that's worth two hundred thousand dollars he has to show me more to for if I was a coach or a GM I wouldn't be giving out that money to him so looking it up Edmonton has one offensive lineman in the top 20 it's Mark Corte at number two and they have two defensive linemen in the top whatever the number was they have jake Ceresna, he's the second highest paid uh defensive tackle 
and they have AC Leonard, who's the sixth highest paid defensive end. And that's it. And we talk about the Ticats. They loaded up on the offensive line. They loaded up on the defensive line. The Elks decided they were going to pay Taylor Cornelius a big a big salary. They decided they were going to splurge on Gina Lewis and Kenny Lawler. That's in addition to because Dylan Mitchell, who's not making a ton, but he's making 150. Like that's that's a lot of money to be spending on maybe vanity. Like if you had Gina Lewis and Dylan Mitchell, or you had Stephen Dunbar and Dylan Mitchell, fine. All three feels like a little bit too much. So yeah, my my uh, faith in the Elks is waning a little bit. The other thing that I that I noticed, and this is a little Tie Cats uh, centric, but well, it's more about something else. But it's people worried about the Tie Cats secondary. If you look at the Bombers, they spend almost no money on their defensive backs. They have just one player in the top twenty, and it's Brandon Alexander, who was the seventeenth highest paid DB in the league. So when people said over the offseason, oh, Hamilton does – I remember someone tweeted out, Hamilton does not have a championship secondary. Well, the Bombers have won two of the last three Grey Cups, and they were literally just in the Grey Cup a year ago, and they have one guy. Hamilton has two guys in the top top 20, Tunde, and we'll, we'll get to this. Tunde Delicate's there and uh, Richard Leonard's there. But the Bombers have had a championship secondary the last three seasons, and it doesn't look like they spent a ton of money there. So mm-hmm. I feel as if – the people, the, you know, the sky is falling about the Ticats not having enough good DBs. The Bombers seem to have done just fine there. So I'm, I think it, that that is, shouldn't be a worry for, for Ticat fans going no. forward. We had a championship secondary last year and we did not. And they went a championship. Yeah. So let's talk about the Ticats. They had a number of guys on these lists. I just mentioned Tunde Delicate. He topped the list as the highest paid defensive back at 168,500 while Richard Leonard came in as the 15th highest paid at just over 100 grand, the team has four offensive linemen in the top 11 highest paid. David Beard making 200,000. You got Joel Figueroa, Brandon Revenberg, and Chris Van Zyl coming in as the fourth, 10th, and 11th highest paid offensive linemen. Tim White, Duke Williams, and Braylon Addison came in as the numbers five, eight, and 16 highest paid receivers. James Butler came in as the as pardon me. James Butler came in fourth amongst running backs. While Dylan Wynn, Casey Sales, Chris Edwards, Jameer Thurman, and Jagger Davis came in as the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and 12th highest paid at their respective positions. Were there any surprises when you saw the pay for some of the Ticats top players? Or did all of these guys seem like they would be amongst the highest paid and in the spots that you expected them to be in? It's pretty much what I expected for most of them. I was kind of surprised that Simone Lawrence wasn't in the top 20 of linebackers being mm-hmm. paid. Now, it kind of makes sense because he kind of had a drop-off season last year. Um, he's not maybe not as, as, you know, he's not as young as he used to be. And I, and I get that, but I think that um, he, I thought that he would have been, you know, in, in that 19 or 20 spot, maybe cracked the top 20 just barely, but um, he took a, he took a pay cut for the team and uh, you know, you got to appreciate that. So the old line, man, if this doesn't work Yo. out, it won't be because the team went cheap. Like they, nope. they, one of their projected starters is not listed in the top 15 and that's Coulter with Manzi. And that's only mm-hmm. because he's in the final year of his rookie contract. Uh, I also think that all the people who got their pitchforks out when the Ticats spent money on James Butler look pretty foolish after this list comes out, don't you think? Like, he's the fourth highest paid back, which I think is perfectly fine. He makes less than Andrew Harris, and I think he will absolutely outproduce him. And he makes a few thousand dollars more than Kevin Brown and A.J. Ouellette. 
And I think he has been far more productive than both of those guys combined. So I don't see his salary as being all that out of whack. Like seven of the league's backs are guaranteed to make over a hundred thousand dollars this year. So I think they gave Butler, I think it was one sixteen hard money with a chance to make one thirty-three. That to me is not a crazy overpay. Like the the mob that came out when the Thai Cats spent money to bring in James Butler, I think we're like a bunch of idiots right now, don't you? Yeah, and it's um you can't measure pass blocking abilities with analytics. No. Maybe you can. <laughs> I don't know about it, but I just think that yeah, you look at the Ticats offense. Yes, they don't run the ball that much, but that's not, you know, they didn't bring him in to hand the ball off to him 30 times a game. That's not his purpose. He's here to catch the ball in the backfield. You know, obviously they're going to hand the ball off to him sometimes, but he's there to catch the ball in the backfield to give uh, Bo Levi Mitchell a, a relief valve, and he's there to protect Bo Levi, Bo Levi Mitchell as well. So you can't measure that with analytics. And, uh, you know, a lot of people out there are saying, you know, you, you shouldn't pay for a running back, but um, I think it's going to be well worth it. Well, like I said, seven teams are paying over $100,000 to their running backs this year. So... 116 for a guy you got in free agency. I mean, again, maybe he makes the 133, but if he makes that 133, it's because he produced. And if he produces, you don't care about spending that much money, but he makes less than Andrew Harris. And like I said, he's going to absolutely, he might double up whatever Andrew Harris does this year. Like Andrew Harris had zero touchdowns last year in the regular season. There's a 0% chance barring injury that James Butler doesn't find the end zone almost a dozen times through rushing and receiving. You mentioned the, the like, I just saw all the people kill the Ticats for spending money here, but Kadeem, like no one killed the, the stamps when they re-signed Kadeem Carey, but because they didn't sign him in free agency, it didn't, you know, warrant the big, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. No one killed the the Alouettes when they signed William Stanback, I imagine, and he got hurt last year. Now, I think he's going to bounce back and have a pretty good year, but... I, and I like Kevin Brown, but I, the, the difference in those guys' pay is a couple of thousand dollars. And A.J. Ouellette, the Argos are paying, and they're still paying Andrew Harris. So it's like, I don't know, man. I just I, I was skeptical about all the negativity surrounding Butler signing from people outside sort of the Ticats fandom and, and media. And now that I see what the numbers are, it's like, man, if he puts up even – like if he does, you know – 1300 total yards and a dozen touchdowns all those people that said it wasn't worth it and pardon my language here are gonna look fucking stupid because i think they look stupid now they're gonna really look stupid in in november if he's if he basically just transports what he did in bc over to hamilton and you're saying he wasn't worth one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. i just think that that's ludicrous now and a lot of people use that generalization of you don't pay for running backs. You don't pay for running backs. They're worthless. Who gives a crap? But there's different situations for different teams. Mm-hmm. Just like with analytics, you can't just look at analytics and be like, just follow them blindly. There's different situations, you know? So it's it, it's all situational situational for teams and, and what they're trying to do. So you can't just lay that blanket statement for, for all running backs. All right, what has become customary, we're going to move on now when we discuss tie cast positions, is then we also try to give a look into these positions on a league-wide basis. We did pyramids for quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers, and then last time out, we did a power ranking for the offensive line. So today, for the defensive lines and linebacker, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do some top fives. 
we felt when we came up with this idea that it was kind of unfair to compare defensive ends, defensive tackles, to compare Sam linebackers to the other two. So instead of trying to navigate that, we opted instead to rank our top five defensive ends, defensive tackles, Will linebackers, Mike linebackers, and Sam linebackers. Before we get started, though, Mike, customary question. How did you find this assignment? Was this easier than the previous ones? Was it harder? Did you learn something you didn't expect? Just what were your general thoughts when you tried to compile your top fives at all these spots? Uh, generally, it was a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> um, just, just to find. So next like, year we, so next year we don't do top fives. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, Think that's what I'm saying. I think because I think we did, we discussed this before the before the episode, and we both had to download depth charts and <laughs> yeah. you know because we're, obviously we're very we know what positions players are in uh, with the tie cats, but then when you're talking strong side and weak side linebacker, it kind of gets a little foggy for the other teams. So. Um, I had to, you know, look up all the depth charts and be like, okay, this guy's in this position and then that position. And, and I'm these some of my lists, like they maybe someone hears them and is like, what the hell is Mike talking about? And you you're probably right because um, it, it was really tough for me to, you know, gather all the names and then put them in order. But uh, I tried my best. Yeah, maybe maybe next year we do a top three or one of us compiles the list so we're playing from the same list because there were guys where it's like. Well, does he, he played here last year, but he also played here. Like he played in three, two different spots. And like, like Sam linebackers are probably the easiest of the linebacking group to distinguish and like tackles and ends, but some guys played middle and then some guys played will. And it was like, it's almost kind of subjective as to where I put them. So like, there's the possibility that you could have a guy at Mike that I have at will and vice versa. So, I mean, I guess we should just get into this so, so let's so go let's, easy on us guys go easy on us yeah we did our best we're, just, we're trying to yeah. provide some entertainment here and if we're way wrong then we're way wrong and we'll take our slings and arrows but let's get this started let's talk defensive tackles who were your top five d tackles for the upcoming season go from go Cutter. from five to one let's 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 five leave the one. champion yeah. for for last all right well we'll make it dramatic here uh we got dylan win at number five you know i think he's one of the best and i think that he could rise up the ladder uh, this year with a great season. Actually, I predict it. So um, I got Dylan Wynn. I got Lanyard from Saskatchewan. I thought he was great in the middle. Before, I think he got an injury with a concussion and he was out for a while, mm-hmm. but he was really good in the middle uh, for Saskatchewan while he was in there. Oakman, I think, is a beast at number three. I think he's a beast for the Toronto Argonauts. And I got Rose, who was an all-star last year, and Serezna with the Elks, who... Uh, you got to be fucking was, kidding me. He uh, He tore it up in the middle there. So, yeah, those are my five. We had the exact same five, just in a completely different order. Okay. But we okay. had the same five guys. So for me, like, I don't think stats tell the whole story with defensive tackles. Like you'll see mm-hmm. some guys put up better numbers, but I don't think that necessarily means they're better players. So for me, for D tackles, I think this is probably, probably the most subjective here. Like this is where I, it was almost like, which player do I like best? And if I wanted a player on my team, who would I choose, you know, five to one? Uh, so I had I had Sean Oakman fifth from the Argos. I think, like you said, he's a monster. I think he's going to have a big year, and I believe his contract's up at the end of the year. So I think he's going to have a monster year and then cash in in free agency. In number four, I had Mike Rose. Maybe should be higher on on his talent because I he could be maybe the best in the league, but he does a lot of knucklehead things. So that kind of knocked him down a little bit for me. He is an amazing talent, but if he ever keeps his head on straight, then I think I could rise them up to the ranks here. Uh, Dylan Wynn was third injury or not. I still think he's awesome. And will once again, prove why he's an elite player. 
Number two, I had Anthony Lanier from Saskatchewan. Came on strong last year, then, as you said, got hurt. But there's a reason that he's now the most well-compensated defensive tackle in football. So I think he's going to prove that this year. And number one, we have the same guy, Jake Ceresna. I, I don't think he gets the publicity of the, of the other guys. I think maybe that's because Edmonton's been so bad the last few years. But he's a human wrecking ball in the middle for the Elks. Yeah. So not a lot for us to to really discuss there. So you want to just move on to the defensive ends then? Because, I mean, we literally had the same five guys just in, in different orders. And quite honestly, your your order is just as valid as, like, with with, with the D tackles, it, it could have been. If, yeah, you if, can make if, the if, argument either way, right? Yeah, like it was just, it's all per- personal preference, I think. But yeah. uh, so I, with not a lot to talk about, I guess we'll move on to the defensive ends. Who are your top five defensive ends from five to one for this upcoming season? Okay, at number five, I got Jeff Coat. And I know that he didn't really have the best season last year, but I just feel like he's um, maybe he didn't land on the stat sheet as much as he wanted to, but I still feel like he's so effective for, for the Bombers. Um, I, at four, I got Jagarrett Davis. Once again, kind of a, you know, not the greatest season last year with the Argonauts, but I still feel like he's one of the best pass rushers off the edge. Uh, Willie Jefferson at number three, you know, his career and past performances speak for them for themselves. Uh, Sean Lemon, you know, he, he keeps doing it. He keeps, uh, you know, racking up those sack totals and it seems like he's on a new team each year and it just doesn't really make sense to me, but yeah, him at number two. And then the guy that the Ticats let slip away is Malden who led the, the league in sacks last year and also had 43 defensive tackles. So those are my five to one. All right, so we have four of the same five here. This is going to get pretty repetitive, but we will have a discussion then because we I do have one guy on my list that you don't have on yours, and you have a guy on yours that I don't have on mine. So in fifth, I have Sean Lemon. Uh, he's I know he's in his mid-30s. He's still at the top of his game, was the West nominee for most outstanding defensive player last year. But the move to BC concerns me because I think he's – I don't want to say he's only been elite with Calgary, but he's had his best years when he's been with the Stampeders. But he did enough last year to kind of earn him the benefit of the doubt. Let's see what he can do in BC, especially as he's going to be opposite. Another guy that I that I put uh, didn't he wasn't top five considered very long, but uh, uh, the Canadian, what's his name, Matthew Betts. I think I think those two guys could be really yeah. good bookends there. Uh, I have Malton fourth. I know he won Defensive Player of the Year last year. I know he led the league in sacks. I still think he's going to be good this year, but I just think the guys that I have ahead of him, I like a little bit more. Uh, number three was Jackson Jeffcoat. Like you said, the stats might not be there, but he's still one of the best in the game. He's still, he still, he finds ways to impact games without necessarily putting up big numbers. Number two, I have Pete Robertson from Saskatchewan. I think this, another guy that maybe due to injuries, didn't get as much publicity as he should have. But I think I re- just remember the game, the first game of the season, Ticats played against uh, Saskatchewan last year, and he was just all over the place, absolutely obliterated that team. So that's kind of still still in my mind. So I, I give him a lot of respect. And the number one, I got Willie Jefferson. For me, he's he's still the best. And maybe this is more reputation based than actual what he puts out on the field nowadays. But it's really hard to argue with anyone, you know. I I think he's still the best in the league, and I think that tandem of him and Jeffcoat is absolutely a, a monstrous. So you had Jagarrett Davis on yours. He was sixth for me, but I just, that was last year. Was it just the case of, you know, was it the Joe Monford in Toronto season 
where Monford left Hamilton to go to Toronto and didn't look very good, then comes back to Hamilton and kind of ends his career playing really great for the Ticats and wins a cup with Edmonton? Or was it a sign that his days as an elite player are over? I, I don't necessarily know. And uh, I just think, I, I again, I, I just like Pete Robertson quite a lot, so that's why he cracked my top five. Yeah, Robinson is a guy that I kind of forgot about, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah. You know, he kind of kind of got lost in the mix because Saskatchewan is so bad last year after the first couple of weeks. So, yeah, he's definitely a guy that, you know, and I think he got paid pretty big this offseason as well. He does. Uh, by the by the riders. So he's definitely a guy that I could, you know, if I redid this, I could fit into my top five. A lot of good defensive, a lot of good defensive ends is what I, that's what I learned doing yep. this. There was a, there was, you know, seven or eight guys that could have cracked this group. So I'm, I'm curious to see what other people have as their top five. So let's move on to the linebackers though, but before we get going, and this might come off as insulting but i'm let's try to educate the listeners here because i think some people do get confused by the designations of will mike and sam so mike linebackers it's pretty simple those are the middle linebackers the guys in the middle easy way to remember that both mike and middle begin with an m and mike is the host of the show so all the m's there's your middle guy wills are your more traditional linebackers they play on the side closest to the sidelines while the sam linebackers are kind of a linebacker defensive back hybrid that unique to the CFL position. So for example, for people listening, Hamilton's linebackers are Simone at will, Jameer Thurman at Mike and Chris Edwards at Sam last year would have been Simone at will Jovan Santos Knox at Mike and Cam Kelly at Sam. So I hope that that clears things up for those listening that might've been confused. Cause I remember when I first heard these terms, I was like, that's not what they say in Madden. So what the hell is this? Like, I don't know what these are. So I, I hope that this helps kind of helps everyone with that out of the way. Let's try and rank the top five will linebackers in the CFL, Mike. So who are your top five wills? Okay, my top five wills. I got Jones at number five. I got Simone coming in at number four. I got Larry Dean at number three. Now, Dean's an interesting case because he mm-hmm. came off a, a really bad injury um, but had a really good year last year, and I think he's going to have another good year this year. Um, Cam Judge at number two. I think he's a he's a stud. And he's a Canadian. And then McManus at number one. I think he's the bet one of the best, you know, overall linebackers in this league right now. Who's Jones? Tony Jones, the Edmonton Elks. Yes. Ah. Top five, an unknown, an unknown player. He was acquired uh late in the season last year. He was a free agent September twelfth, two thousand twenty two. Uh from Texas Tech. I think he's a guy that can uh, you know, a Chris Jones find. That will be a top five linebacker in this league soon to come. Okay, so here are my five then, Mike. I have Simone Lawrence in, at fifth. I think last year was not necessarily a harbinger of doom for Simone. I don't know if he'll be back in the defensive player of the year conversation this year, but if he plays a full season, I think he could be. Number four, I have Kyrie Wilson from Winnipeg. He has the luxury of playing next to Adam Big Hill, who's one of the greatest of all time, but I think Wilson more than holds his own. Uh, number two and three, I have a pair of Canadians in Cam Judge at three and Bo Lacombo at two. Both those guys have turned into legit all-star caliber players, and I think that they're – Lacombo's a weird one because you could probably put him at either Will or Mike, but I think this year he might play a little more little more Will than he will, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, and then number one, just like you, Winton McManus, best player in his position, I think, by a wide margin – I think would have won top defensive player last year had he had he not been injured. I don't really think there's any questions as to 
as to his viability as as the best will linebacker in the CFL. So not a ton there to discuss either. I got the Tony Jones thing took me by surprise, but I kind of like that you went off the board mm-hmm. there. And the rest we kind of have pretty similar guys. Now you had Larry Dean as a will. I'll admit that I put him as a Mike and he is on my list. And we're going to get to that in a second, just because I want to explain that. I think Larry Dean is top five player in the league at his position, but I just didn't know if with Darnell Sankey leaving where the riders would play him more this year. If he ends up going to the will spot and playing there more, then maybe I'll have to update this, but I think he might play some Mike. So speaking of that, let's move on to the man, the men manning the middle, Mike. Who are your top five Mike linebackers for 2023? I got Micah Awe at number five. I think he's a solid linebacker in Montreal. Uh, our, our very own Jameer Thurman at number four. I got, uh, no wait, sorry. I got Santos Knox at number four and then Thurman at number three. Uh, Big Hill at number two, just because, you know, he's, he's Adam Big Hill and he, he's still very effective. He's still very good. And Mwamba just at number one because... He, you know, he maybe he's not the best middle linebacker right now, but I feel I feel like off the Grey Cup he came. You know, he's the most outstanding Canadian. I think he was was he the most outstanding player as well? I think he, he got was, both he was those. Both. Yeah, he got both those awards. He's just, he's been a beast in this league for many many years, and I think he peaked last year. And uh, but I still think he's uh, you know Canadian, and he's at the top of the heap. It's kind of funny. So our lists here are pretty similar, but I have Larry Dean at five. Like I said, I know he played mostly Will with the Riders last year, but Darnell Sankey's gone to the XFL, and I do think the Riders would be smart to move Dean back to the middle because that's where he's played most of his career, and most of his career when he's played there, he's dominated, so it would be smart for them. Number four, I have Jameer Thurman. Uh, like I said earlier when we were talking about Ticats linebackers, never really put up eye-popping numbers, but neither did Jovan Santos Knox before he came to Hamilton, so I think we are going to see Thurman post the best numbers of a career, career, maybe be a hundred tackle guy. Speaking of Santos Knox, him and Thurman, I think are pretty equal, but I have seen Jovan Santos Knox outproduced in the last couple of years. So I have him slightly ahead as my third guy. Number two, I have Enoch Muamba. I know the Argos traded for Jordan Williams with the idea that he could possibly replace Muamba. But the last game we saw played, Muamba was the best player on the field. So until I see him slowed down significantly, I'm going to give him the respect. And number one is Adam Big Hill because he's Adam Big Hill. I don't think anything more needs to be said. It's funny. We have our top four of the same, just kind of swapped a little bit. So not a ton to talk about there either. So let's no. move on to the final group here. The Sam linebackers, maybe the toughest position to play in the CFL. Definitely the toughest to play on defense. So Mike, who are the five men that made your top five Sams entering the season? Number five, I got Patrick Levels coming in. Um, number four, Chris Edwards of your Hamilton Tiger Cats. I got uh, Alden Darby at number three with the Bombers. You know, he didn't get a lot of time with the Cats, but I still think he's a top three Sam linebacker in this league. Um, Pickett, he was an all-star last year from Montreal. I believe he, he signed with the Argonauts. And then uh, Moncrief at the number one spot with the Riders. So there's a little bit of difference here. At number five, I got Luchez Purifoy. I just like his game. He's versatile, hits like a mother effer, and he's playing for Chris Jones. And I think that I think he played one season for Jones in Saskatchewan. I think he could thrive under Jones again. Number four, I have Patrick Levels. He's just excellent. Like mm-hmm. sometimes he brings attention to himself for the wrong reasons, like when he guaranteed that Al's playoff win over the Ticats a couple of years ago. 
but you can't deny the skills. The, the dude's been one of the best Sams in the league for a very long time. Number three is where I went a little bit off the board, and I went with Titus Wallet of Calgary. Might be the one that shocked people the most just because he missed some time last year. So well, that's your a, Tony Jones. That's my Tony Jones. There's a little bit of projection here. But I just remember the play he made against the Ticats in the game in Hamilton where he stripped, ripped the ball out of Dane Evans' hands and scored a touchdown. It kind of led to that comeback for the Stamps. And I and the other games I saw him in, I think he he played really, really well. So I don't expect him to slow down any this year. If he's the starter in, in Calgary, I think he's going to be very good. And my number two and number one are the same as yours. I got a Darius Pickett, number two. Uh, I guess I'm making up for all my Argo slander with the offensive guys by praising their defense because I think – Pickett could be the best, number one, even though I have him below Moncrief. But Pickett was great with the Owls last year, and I don't expect him to be anything less than that with the Argos this year. And then, number one, Derek Moncrief. I don't think there's any debate that Moncrief is the best Sam in the league, so I don't really feel a need to justify, make any justifications for putting him at number one. So this was, for me, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that we came, like, if we looked at all 25 of these guys, we'd probably have... 20 22 of them the same some of them even in the same spot it's kind of interesting that we both came to this very similar conclusions on most of these guys don't you think yeah i think so and it's like you know close in the order as well that we mm-hmm. have them so um i suppose you could argue that there's not really a lot of linebackers to choose from in this league so you know you're bound to come up with the same you know some same players but yeah it was interesting to see that uh we came up with you know 80% of the same players, probably. Yeah, pretty wild. So uh, next week, we're going to do something with the secondary, a little different than even we did this week. we got some fun stuff planned when we talk secondaries next week and coaches and specialists. But before we get out of here, let's play a little game this week, Mike. We're going to play some all-in or all-out. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, so three teams debuted changes to their uniforms for 2023 since we last recorded. First up was the BC Lions, who will have new home and away threads for the fourth time since 2015. These guys mm-hmm. change their uniforms like most people change their socks. The Lions mm-hmm. will wear what they are calling blackout jerseys for their home games and fog gray jerseys for their road games, with their gunmetal alternates still being in the rotation. So, Mike, are you all in or all out on these new Lions uniforms? I'd have to say I'm all in. Uh, I kind of like the fog away jersey look. I think it looks kind of cool. Um, the the black home is uh, is very similar to their gun medals, but not as cool. So I, I I just feel like they should make those gun medals the home jerseys because I the fans really like them. Or incorporate more orange into their home jerseys. You know what I mean? Like either go with the gun medal and just go with it, or make orange more of a home thing. Cause that's the, that's your team colors. Right. So, but overall I I'd have to say I'm all in. I, I like, I like both of these jerseys, but I, I, I'd lean towards the away Jersey. Um, if I had to, I'm out on these. I like the fog gray. I like the team going away from a white road uniform, but I'm out because those home jerseys, they, they're palette swap tie cats ones. They're black Fair. jerseys with stripes on the sleeves and orange instead of yellow. And in a, in a, I was talking to some friends about this and, and someone mentioned they look like Cleveland Browns jerseys and it's, it's just, they're not very innovative. You know what I mean? Like I wish the lions would lean more into the orange instead of the black, because we have two teams predominantly black in Hamilton and Ottawa. We don't need a third team predominantly black. Like it just, it didn't, I love the, I love what they did with the away uniforms. 
but I think these are a downgrade from the uniforms that they had last year. And these guys make changes so often that maybe we won't care in three years because they'll be on another new thing. But I, I don't know. I, I really like like if we're if we're really getting off track here, like the, the Damon Allen era with the silver helmets are my absolute favorite. But if I, I I preferred like the Travis, you know, you know, when they were wearing the white helmets and the orange jerseys, like kind of the Travis Lule era. I just liked when they leaned into I wish more teams would lean into that secondary color. Like I wish the Ticats would do more with the yellow. I wish Ottawa would do more with the red. Like black is just kind of boring. And when you're in a nine team league and three teams wear black home jerseys, it just feels like overkill. I don't think these are terrible. And in a vacuum, I really like them. But in the overall scheme of things, I got to be out on these ones. All right. Next up are the Calgary Stampeders. The Stamps didn't make many major changes to their uniforms, except for one. They got rid of the black. So they will still wear black alternates on Labor Day, but there is no black on either their home or away jerseys. The team even went from black to white face masks on their helmets to complete this zero black look. Their home kits look about the same as they did la- the last two seasons, while the road whites had the most significant changes. Again, mostly due to them ditching black as one of their prominent colors. So, Mike, are you all in or all out on these new Stampeder duds? Well, I've been pounding the table for the Stampeders to get the black out of their uniforms for years now, especially since the Red Blacks came into the league. So I'm all in on these jerseys. You know, I can I can live with the alternate black jerseys if they want to wear them on Labor Day. That's fine. That's That's fine with me. Um, but I just thought it was so ridiculous to have a team that, you know, the Stampeders, who were traded traditionally just right, uh, red and white um, for their history, and and to to incorporate so much black into it, and it just with a team called the Red Blacks, it was just a little bit ridiculous for me. So I'm all in on the red and white, and I think it's just a better look overall for the Stampeders. Red and white's a nice look. I'm with you. I'm all in on these because they got rid of the black. I'm with you. I don't mind the the one. The, the black alternates on Labor Day that kind of has a history dating back to the Flutie era. So it's that reminds me of of my youth. So I'm OK, I'm OK with that because, you know, nostalgia tickles us 40 year olds in the right places. But getting rid of the black like I'm the same. I never liked the Stampeders using black. It never made sense to me. I didn't like when they wore black helmets. I didn't like that they had a lot of black on their jerseys. It just with the like, I'm almost going to parrot exactly what you said with the introduction of the Red Blacks. It looked really dumb that they went went with the the red, yeah. black, and white look. Now that they've gone almost predominantly with just red and white and white and red, I think these are some of the best jerseys in the league. They might be kind of plain, but plain is okay as long as it's the right type of plain. And these, to me, are the right type of plain. I absolutely love them. If I was an agnostic CFL fan, these would be something that I would consider purchasing because I think they look really, really sharp. I really like the... The away whites on that, and I'm not a big white jersey guy, but I really like the away whites, and I love the home like this. They, they knocked this out of the park, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think they did a really good job. Uh, so lastly, here the Edmonton Elks, they didn't change their uniforms, but they are doing something different for their home opener. For the price of $250, fans were able to have their names written inside the double E logo on the side of the team's helmets for Edmonton's game against the Rough Riders on June 11th. The Elks have tried some gimmicks now. This is just the latest one of them that they've rolled out. The team offered limited number of guaranteed win tickets for that home opener where if the Elks win, everyone's happy because they win their first home game at Commonwealth and forever. But if they lose, the fans who purchase those tickets 
will get free tickets to every Elks home game until the team finally wins at Commonwealth. So that I think that's kind of a neat promotion too. So the Elks are kind of pulling out all the stops to get people more energized about the team this year. But are you all in or all out on the Elks selling space on their helmets for fans to purchase? I'm kind of all out on this. Um, like if you want to do that, gimmicky? that's fine. A little bit. And uh, I don't know. I mean, if you're a fan and you think there's value in that and you, you want to do that, I, I'm not going to judge you for it. Um, I will judge people that are like stamp fans that are paying 250 bucks to put go stamps, go or something <laughs> on the helmet. It's like that. Dude, that didn't that joke that. get a little old after you saw it for like the fifth time. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And it's just like, I just, that just seems like a massive waste of money. Cause you're not going to even really see it. It's like inside the logo on the helmet. It's like, if you have 250 bucks to waste like that, then, then more power to you. But I, it just seems crazy to me, but yeah, I, I, I think this kind of reminds me of the Grey Cup fan base thing. Bingo. And it just just doesn't, doesn't really fly with me. And that being said, I do think the Grey Cup fan base looks pretty badass when, like, like when they had it, had it in Hamilton and the teams came out around it. I thought that looked really cool. But the idea itself is kind of, you know, kind of a ripoff. Yeah, the Grey Cup fan base is cool, but you see it once a year and never see like it's supposed to travel yeah. with the Grey Cup and never does. But anyway, that's mm-hmm. I'm I'm with you. I'm kind of all out on this. Like, it just feels a little too uh, like you know when Pat McAfee said this was the CFL was state fair football. That's kind of what this feels like to me. Like it just feels a little. It feels like this should be beneath a professional sports team to do. Like I could see a local college team or high school team thinking like as a way to raise money, we're going to let you design a logo for our home opener or something. You know what I mean? Like a contest Mm -hmm. like that. And I I get maybe for the people that spent this, like I I think they limited it to 90 people. Maybe they should have upped it because I'm thinking like someone might want to buy the Like, you know, at the end of the year, you can like go to the locker room sales and stuff and you could maybe, maybe someone who did pay for it will want to try to buy a helmet. And I, and I, but if 90 people purchase this, they don't have 90 helmets on game day. So you, not everyone would be able to get it anyway. Not to say everyone would want it, but I don't know. It just, this feels a little, it feels, it feels like it should be beneath a professional team to do something like this. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the ticket idea, I think it's a great idea because I think, oh, I love the ticket idea. Win that, yeah. I think they're going to win that first game. So I don't think they'll be giving out any free tickets. Um, but yeah, like this is a little, little corny, little, little gimmicky. And it's just, I don't, I don't like, I'm not mad about it, but I just, I just don't think it's that great of an idea. Yeah. Like if the tie cats did something like this, I wouldn't pay 20, 250 bucks to put my name no, on that. No, that's a lot. It's, 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 it's a good chunk of change to be throwing away or, you know, to get, you know, for that. I just don't, I don't see the value in that. Yeah, maybe if they did a thing like where you could put names on the back of jerseys and we could eat, we could double Ooh, up and get some of our talking. Podski on the back of their jersey Ooh. for a game. Maybe I'd do something like that. But Hey, maybe we should look into uh, sponsoring the season on the <laughs> Podski Weebly on the jerseys, bud. <laughs> I don't think we have that much money. I but, don't, uh, you don't think we have that much funds? Ah, no, no I, I don't know what your savings account looks like, but mine's not that flush with cash. Unless no, it's a lot cheaper. This is a lot cheaper than what I about the Podsky fund? We, we got to uh, reach into the Podsky fund. <laughs> That's been depleted, but uh, we don't want to talk about right. that. On. Yeah. All right. So that was Podsky for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm my Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.